Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and in this episode, I'm joined by Beth Ann Nichols, who is also a senior writer with GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, and USA Today Sports. And we discuss the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions, where Jessica Corda shot 60 and then a 66 on Sunday to win in a playoff over Danielle Kang. It was really exciting stuff. And we talk at length about Jessica Corda's game. We talk about Nellie Corda's game. We talk about Danielle Kang and... Her performance as well, really good stuff from the LPGA Tour. Then we talk about Lexi Thompson and how she's at 65 on Sunday at the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions and what she might be doing to prepare for the Olympics. Number one on her list is getting that putter and getting her putting much more in order. That's been the thing that's obviously been holding her back quite a bit. We also talk about the scheduling for the LPGA Tour and trying to maintain the momentum that they've really sort of established with the 2020 U.S. Women's Open last November at, uh, at Championstown in Texas. And then Beth Ann, of course, gives me a little bit of a uh, look ahead towards 2021 on the LPGA Tour, some of the big storylines that she's going to be watching for and more. So sit back, lay back, and enjoy. The Counter. An NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. I know people are like just assuming that this is an upgrade at the quarterback position, but I don't think we could say that for a fact. I'd say it's, it's a downgrade. He never really had game-to-game impact just coming off the edge and destroying people that we thought when we saw his athleticism in college and at the combine. And- the Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Listen and subscribe to The Counter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So now I'd like to welcome back for the first time in 2021, my colleague, my friend, <laughs> senior writer at Golf Week, GolfWeek.com and USA Today Sports, Beth Ann Nichols. Beth Ann. Uh, this is going to be the latest Happy New Year probably you've received. We're recording this. It's Tuesday, the 26th of January, but Happy New Year. How's it going? <laughs> happy New Year. It's funny. I just texted that to a player yesterday. I was like, well, I haven't talked to her since December. So, <laughs> When, when is the New cutoff year? for you? When, when is the cutoff for you for when, like, when you stop the Happy New Year's? I feel awkward after about like the 4th or the 5th, but you're right. Like If you haven't seen somebody, like, <laughs> when, when do you stop? You, you feel kind of like, it, you've, I don't know, it feels like I'm missing something if I don't, you know, acknowledge that I haven't talked to you in a while. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's been a while. Um, holidays are over. Um, I will make a dirty admission here. We, we strung Christmas holiday lights around our back deck, which was really pretty. We've got a, a deck on the backyard 
that if you go to golfweek.com and you see some of my equipment videos I have used as a sort of a place where I shoot some video. They've got some nice pine trees in the back. It looks golf-ish as much as I can sort of do it from home. And we strung the, they're still out there. I haven't taken the lights down. We're sort of clinging to one last, it's it's winter in New England post-holidays, which can be depressing. And um, we've still got the lights out there. <laughs> you 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 go up on Instagram, or if I go up on Instagram, see so you you start holiday decorating like pretty much as you're putting away the dishes from Thanksgiving. I think the dishwasher yeah. is still going. Yes, <laughs> tinsel and garland are being strung at, at the Nichols house. Um, birdies were being strung together in bunches this last week on the LPGA Tour. Jessica Corda wins overtime, free golf. Um, after shooting 60-66 to win um, over Danielle Kang. So my question to you is two parts. Um, number one, surprised that she's able to come out of the gate uh, on the LPGA Tour season so fast, seemingly playing so well. Um, and what's the difference between what we saw? I mean, 60 is a special round, obviously. You're not going to shoot 60. I believe that's what, the fourth or the fifth? 60? Fifth? fifth 60 that we've seen on the LPGA tour. What's the difference when she plays like that, as opposed to when she shoots 70 or 69? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, everything's got to go right that day. Right. I mean, you're, she didn't even know what was going on until the 17th hole. I mean, that's just, it all comes down to putting right at the end of the day. Um, it was just a spectacular round. I mean, you and 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 the the crazy thing is, it's the first one since two thousand eight. Paula Creamer at the Marathon Classic. And you got to think about that. That's a long time for the LPGA not to have a sixty, which kind of goes to a broader broader issue. I want to look into down the road on course setup and uh, and and what's good for for the women, you know, and why the women don't have lower scores. So that's another topic, but, um, but you love to see it, you know, I mean, of course it's a special thing, but, uh, but 13 years, is it, is it that special <laughs> compared to what happens on the PGA tour? It seems like a regular basis. Well, let's go there for just a second. So I have a theory, um, back in 2010, the USGA and the RNA changed the rules that govern grooves. Now, a lot of people paid attention to that with, with wedges, and stay with me for just a second as I get kind of nerdy on this. But but when you make the grooves in any club, wedges are not, a little less sharp and a little smaller in volume, you can't spin the ball as much. And the thinking was, like, we want to put driving accuracy, not just distance, going back to distance, to be a little bit more of a premium. And if guys can't spin the ball out of the rough or with their wedges as much, they're going to have to think, like, well, we need to be straighter off the tee. Well, what does the PGA Tour do? They look at golf as entertainment. People like to see birdies and eagles. So course setup got a little bit easier. The rough at most events isn't quite as nasty as it used to be, if you talk to guys. Um, the hole locations were put in places where oftentimes, yeah, they're they're tucked pretty good. Um, certainly for, for people like us, normal folk. But the, the proximity to the hole for most guys the next couple of years got better with the duller wedges. And I bring this up. And I ask it now to you in terms of LPGA Tour. Should the LPGA Tour be setting up golf courses with a little bit more entertainment and birdie making in mind? Or do you think that they're trying to walk this fine line between that and making sure that the challenge for the best women players in the world is is maintained? 
I mean, I personally would like to see more birdies. I mean, I think that I, I feel like oftentimes when, when there are low scores on the LPGA or in any kind of women's golf, you know, it's been set up too easy. Uh, whereas on the men, it's, wow, these guys are good. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that is a real stigma. Um, and, and it's really frustrating. But I also think one, one thing that's interesting is I heard a lot of players talk about how pure the greens were and how, how, how fast they were, they were running last week. And that's a big difference. The men week to week have better conditions. And if you have better greens to put on, uh, you know, it, it makes a big difference. And so, you know, I, 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 there are so many different factors and elements, you know, that, that play into, into this scoring issue, you know, how many reachable par fives are there, you know, what are the women, are, how many women are hitting irons, <laughs> mid irons into par fives, you know, on a regular basis compared to the men, you know, mm-hmm. how short are the par threes, you know, there, there's just a lot that goes into it. Um, but I, and it's something I want to dive into because especially when you look at NCAA golf, the men and the women playing the same courses back, the same course back to back, you know, you, we'd like to see more of that, uh, in, in major championship play as well as obviously a fantastic hit at Pinehurst, but all of these things are really important because when, when women go and play the courses that we've seen these historic moments that men have had, you know, let's say Olympic, you want the course to play similar for the women than it did for the men. Just, just at the appropriate length is basically. So if the guys are playing it, you know, to, to keep the, the shot, um, conformancy, basically, like if they're playing it at 72, 73, 7,400 yards to make sure that they're hitting certain clubs into greens, basically what you're saying is like, Hey, give the women, the same type of clubbing or the same type of right. challenge. So mid iron for the guys and mid iron for the women, which would be, it might be 30 yards closer, 20 yards closer. I mean, it's, there's, there's differences there on a week to week basis. Is there a problem with, I mean, I'm sure that they're, they, they punt well. Um, I'm tired almost of hearing every single week, the PGA tour broadcast like, Oh, these greens are so pure courses in great condition. I take it for granted that yeah. the courses when they're, hosting a PGA Tour event, are going to be immaculate. I I live very close to TPC River Highlands. I'm able to play that course a lot over the course of the summer. I've played it right after the guys. Yeah, it's it's really good in terms of like the green speeds and the conformity of the the fairways are all nice and everything like that. I'm surprised to hear you say that like the women don't week in and week out put on really high quality putting surfaces and that maybe the condition of the golf course overall isn't what I guess I would have always assumed it to be. Well, I mean, I, I think with the fact that whenever a player talks about it, my ears kind of perk up because the, the emphasis that they put on it um, and on how, how great of a condition a golf course is, the way they say it, it's like, you know, wow. That's <laughs> you know, what we expect every week, you know? Huh. And that just comes down to, to the kind of venues that the men can play on versus the women, just the resources that are available. I mean, it's just... It's just different. So if we had a golf czar in a good way mm. that basically had the men and the women following each other. So, you know, for example, the women shouldn't always follow the men, but the women can be at a tournament and the guys can follow up a week later. Um, it would potentially solve that problem. It could get the women and the men to some different types of venues, mixing up schedules. I'm still holding out hope that that we start to get more midst of the season. Um mixed tournaments with LPGA and PGA tour players. I think it would be fantastic for both tours. Um, 
I think in some ways the guys would still be remain competitive, but they could relax a little bit. I think it could demonstrate to people who don't know how good the women are that, yeah, they can really, really play. And the old notion that like, oh, you know, really good players at the amateur level could commit. Like, no, you cannot. There's there's no way. And in watching more women's golf, um, I am just in awe of what they do with oftentimes from what you're saying, either you know, the, the course looked great to me this last weekend on a Lake Buena Vista. It, it looked, yeah, it looked really, really sharp. And I was impressed. Um, one of the things about Jessica Corda's game that came over to me, and I want to ask you a little bit about this as someone who's seen her a lot more than I have. I grew up playing tennis and of a comparable age. I know that her father, Petter Corda, just turned 53, I believe on Friday. I am now 50. Um, I watched him a lot. I covered him when I was working at Tennis Magazine. He was a real methodical player. He was a grinder. He would be somebody that you would see on a draw and be like, whoever he's playing against is about to have a very, very hard day. He might not win every ma- every tournament and every match, and he didn't, but it was never for a lack of fitness, and it was never for a lack of toughness. Sometimes he just lacked like the big weapon. He didn't have a serve like Pete Sampras. He didn't have a forehand like Andre Agassi, but there was no weakness. It looks like Jessica's game to me is very similar. You mentioned like the putting comes and gets hot and she ends up with a really low score. For the most part, is there, do you think that her golf game sort of translates? She doesn't hit the ball as far as some of the players off the tee. She looks like she's built around steadiness and around smarts. And guile, and I mean that in a really positive way. It doesn't look to me like she's got any major deficiencies in her game. Is that a, an accurate representation or thought, or is there? Am I missing something? Jessica Corda was the longest player in the field last week, and she was hitting so it. Clearly, back. I'm not like paying nearly as much attention to this. Are you serious? Yeah, she was. She was consistently passing Nelly off the tee by by quite a bit. Okay, but it didn't like maybe because again, like I wasn't there. Like I'm watching the broadcast, and yes, she's hitting you know last in that group. But how far is she putting it out there? She's. I mean, she was 40 yards ahead of Danielle Kang off the tee. <laughs> Danielle Kang's not a big hitter. What? Well, no, but that's significant. She was significantly, well, uh, yeah, okay. she was significantly longer than than Lexi Thompson actually for the week too. It looked Why like she really. To the point that I asked her after she finished on Sunday, have you gotten longer in the offseason? You know, and she was like, no, this is pretty normal. <laughs> she's, and I don't mean this to be in a way, like she's a strong athletic woman. She I mean, like she clearly has put in the time on the gym. But she is, she is. but she's battled injuries throughout her entire career. Uh, that's, that's been an issue. Um, and so, you know, you know, she, she was, she was smoking the ball and I, and I, you know, but, but to be fair, we've watched a lot more of Nelly than we have Jess of late. And so I think there was a lot of, wow, for me, there was a, wow, Jessica's pounding the ball. And, and, you know, this is why I talked to her about it, but it seems like, you know, she hits a lot of three woods off the tee. She, she said to me, you know, because a lot of longer players. There's too much bend in the fairway. Um, So so yeah. So, anyways, it's she's a, she's a powerful player, and uh, and it was well. That was what was the most interesting thing for me about this past week was that I really haven't been paying that much attention to Jessica Corda. It's all been on Nelly of late, and so it was fun to watch them side by side 
um, compete head to head, obviously on a Sunday, that was fantastic. But to also compare their games again, because, you know, I wasn't really even doing that in the Solheim cup when they were paired together. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't really comparing their games, you know, it was more of the head to head competition and then being a team. And I'm just looking at it differently. Plus it's hard to do when you're playing, you know, alternate shot. Alternate shot is brutal. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so it was, it was an interesting exercise. They hit their irons about the same distance mm-hmm. there, but Jessica is definitely longer off the tee than Nellie. Um, and you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how she carries the momentum. She was looking forward to the fact that she had a month off, which you would think, you know, that, you know, <laughs> she was like, I can actually celebrate and soak this in and you know enjoy which usually are just going on to the next tournament the next tournament the next tournament and so it's an unusual thing to be able to to really you know celebrate with your family it's the first time she'd won in front of her parents and really soak it in so um i think for most players having the second off season was a welcome thing because Hmm. the first off season was way too short you know it went went the season went right into the holidays you felt like straight out of the holidays you had to get back at it and you know i think most of them look the the 25 players who played in this looked at it as a warm-up event identify what i really need to work on in my second off season which is what's coming up so and maybe the sort of a tease and you and i sort of talked about this before i hit the record button on this my feeling is that as someone who's trying to get obviously obviously more attuned to the LPGA tour and the players and, and trying to follow it week to week. I came out of the U S open really, really amped up. And I had players that I was genuinely like, I can't wait to follow and see what happens. I want to see what happens with Amy Olson. I want to see what happens with Danielle Kang. Like Daniel Kang fascinates me. I, I think so many things about her seem to be really, really interesting. The fact that she came out of the COVID break red hot. Um, I went back and started watching some YouTube clips of her U.S. Women's Am wins, one of them over Jessica Corda. Um, I love the way that she plays, and I love her temperament out there. But now that you've gone from all that U.S. Women's Open, which I felt like was a really significant turning point, potentially, we could look back on, I think, the 2020 U.S. Women's Open at Champions is like, that was the event where women's golf stopped being this like niche of a niche of a niche kind of a following, and like, they were getting a lot more exposure. People were really, really excited about that U.S. Open. And people this weekend were really excited about watching women's golf. I mean, the, the men's tournament, the Amex, for me personally, lacked juice. Like, I, I realized that people who are into that stuff and they want to see PGA West in the desert, like, it's cool. Like, okay, fine. I can totally get that. This tournament was so much more compelling. The fact that you had long putts being made between star players, you know, playing in a playoff, it was just more compelling. You had a 60 followed by a 66. There's somebody shooting 64 that, you know, Nellie could have, you know, she ran out of holes. If we play right. another 18, Nellie could easily have won this tournament. Mm-hmm. Danielle Kang, how many holes was it consecutively without making a bogey? 84, 86? Getting back to the CME, 84. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like ridiculous. That's, that's, that's stupid. So, and now we take a break. We've got four weeks off, and I'm like, no, no, don't stop now. I know, silly COVID. I know. I mean, it. it unfortunately, the events uh, in Australia couldn't happen this year. So, um, so thus the hole in the calendar. And you know, you kind of wish. Well, I wish this tournament last week could have maybe been pushed. You know, back. Another, you know, yeah. and but but you know, the celebrities. I'm sure there was a problem with spring training there with all the 
the baseball players in the field, you know, and trying to get all your athletes together uh, for that event. Um, you know, so they're just a lot of moving parts. So instead, you know, there will be two, at least there are two tournaments in Florida coming up next. So there's a nice little back to back there for players. Um, but I think some players might not come back to the LPGA until the Kia classic in March. Says the woman who lives in Florida and basically then gets to drive to said tournaments, doesn't have to jump on a plane or, or do anything like that. So let me ask you a little bit about Danielle Kang. Uh, obviously, she loses in the playoffs. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that she said afterwards, her expectations for the week were really low. She hadn't been putting in a lot of work. Um, as you noted in your story on golfweek.com, she had a couple scares. I mean, if you get exposed to somebody with COVID, I'd be frightened. It'd certainly be on my mind. So she had to deal with that. She moved expectations low. Do you buy it? Like as an athlete, when an athlete tells you like, oh, my expectations are low, I'm, I'm, you know, I obviously would like to have won the playoff, but like, I'm really happy with the performance. Do you buy that? At the start of the week? Yes, I buy that her expectations, you know, because she wasn't able to prepare like she wanted to. She only saw Butch Harmon once, which is very unusual for them. Um, you know, and she didn't, she didn't put in the, the work that she thought she would be able to because of those exposures. I buy that on Tuesday. On Sunday, I don't buy that. Thank <laughs> you. Know, I, mean, I mean, after your, your breaking records left and right, you know, through the course of the tournament, and then, you know, it all comes down to, you know, a putt that you could have made to extend the playoff. Uh, you know, there's – I mean, of course of course, you wanted to win. Why tee it up if you don't want to win, you know? So yeah. I think that was just a, a, a something athletes tell themselves to, to ease the pain, I guess. I don't know because – I mean, you're not there unless you want to win, you know, that's, that's, that's something that they read in some Tony Covey self-help and like, you know, I'm a good person, damn it, you know, broker <laughs> or instruction thing. Je Jessica said, and you, I think that you put it in your piece about this. It was that like, you know, I don't come to golf tournaments anymore just to show up. I'm too old for that now. Yeah, I've been on tour for 11 years, which is amazing. Um, which but, which was that that came up because she's won her first tournament of the year so many times that the question was, you know, what's the secret to, to winning your first tournament of the season? I think, I believe this was the fourth time she's done it. If memory serves, which is crazy. And, uh, and, and she said, well, people say, you know, it's low expectations, but that's when that led into, but I don't show up to a tournament, you know, not expecting to win. <laughs> so with Tom Brady, who now makes the, the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you think like, he's going to be like, oh, you know what? We, I really wasn't expecting much. This isn't like, you know, what I left at the New England Patriots. We have this tradition of winning. Like we're, we, we, we weren't expecting to be able to, to beat the Kansas city Chiefs. So if we lose, you know, I'm still really, really set. BS. Total BS. If you're in a playoff, if you have gone through 84 holes without making a bogey, if you're if you're hitting her putter was so good. Oh my gosh. It was, it was crazy how like she was getting up and down. She was making pods. She was doing all this stuff. I totally agree. On Tuesday, Wednesday, you tell yourself, yeah, you know what? We're just out here. You know, maybe we'll just like hit a couple shots here and see where I need to go. I've got this layoff coming up. I've Get life is going to be settled. I'm going to take a week off after this, then start putting in the work for the next two or three weeks, and I'm going to be ready to rock and roll. You start getting into the lead as she had it through the week. Your yeah. expectations yeah. change. Like it's human nature. Like on Friday night, like, okay, you shoot a hot round. Hey, you know what? Kind of loosey goosey. Everything feels good. 36 holes in, you're a top five, top 10 player in the world. You're 
you're putting you're expecting from yourself like okay i'm i'm in this someone's gonna have to beat me and your whole mindset shifts i do not buy it i do not buy it one iota (laughs) the maybe the most interesting thing to me i couldn't believe this happened that you wrote about this um so after regulation finishes she calls butch She calls Butch before she goes to the first tee or to to the next tee of the the playoff and she gets a tip. How the hell that happened? I know. Danielle's always on the phone. (laughs) She's on the phone to the tee. She's on the phone. Like, it's funny. Like when she comes after she wins the tournament, she'll come into the, the flash area now to, to do an interview and, and, and she's on the phone. She'll put the phone down. I think they watch her while she does. (laughs) <laughs> the interview like this is pretty uh it's pretty common uh but yeah she talked to i think she said her mom her brother and butch before she got I'm trying to turn him put the put the damn phone away i'm, you, I'm, oh, like I'm talking to my son put your damn phone away you know <laughs> so, uh, she said because she hit a great shot <laughs> she, she smoked it in there she was she was closer yeah. than jess was like on, on the oh, shot do, do we know what butch told her you said in your story that like it was a swing thought and like I you know, know what to do and you gave her a swing yeah. thought Right, right. I don't know what the swing thought was, though. But Come yes. on, get out there and re- report a little bit, will you please? Um, <laughs> we, so one of the things that sort of slid under the radar with all of that stuff going on is the aforementioned Lexi Thompson, who I now know is not even in the same area code off the tee as Jess Corda. So she's a she's a, she's a dinker in my book. She's, she's 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 dinking them out there now. Um, she shoots sixty five though, which is um. Yeah, that's that's a lot better than I've ever shot. Uh, that's yeah, that's much better than I've ever shot. And said so she the ball striking was good. Obviously, if you shoot sixty five, you can't be hitting it all over the heck and back. Missed a lot of putts, close. So she took that as a positive because the thing with her is is the putting. I, that I did know. Um, but what was interesting is it sounds like she and her team over the next two, three, four weeks during this offseason are going to really focus on putting, which might not necessarily be breaking news there. But they went through different putters, different lengths, different grips, different styles, and have let it be known that they're making a pretty big radical change, but they wouldn't tell you what it was. <laughs> no, no. And just I said, well, uh, a new instructor is well, some people who are in the putter business. So I'm not, I'm not sure who the people in the putter business are that they're going to consult, mm-hmm. but, um, I like it. I mean, I like the fact that another set of eyes are going to come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think that it's, uh, it's, it's time to, to, to get some outside help. Um, <laughs> without, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> so, so let me, let me, let me throw out a theory and I'm going to let you shoot it down because obviously I know nothing about anything on this podcast. We've already pretty much just, to, to, <laughs> we, we've established that. So who was Jess Corda's, excuse me, Jess Corda's, who was Lexi Thompson's guest caddy a couple weeks ago? Uh, I do not know. She had Bryson DeChambeau's caddy on the back. Oh, you mean for the uh, U.S. Women's Open, right? Yes. Last month. So Bryson DeChambeau has very close ties with a putter company called SICK, S-I-K. And I'm just connecting dots that are just floating in my ridiculous brain. Um, They are both Cobra Puma athletes. Hmm. They probably have some type of just like tangential relationship they probably have met each other on several occasions i have no idea if they're friends or not well they have um, an agent 
So now we're connecting. We've got more dots. <laughs> so Bryson's putter is somewhat unique, um, not necessarily in just like the way that it looks, but the face has four different lofts. As you go from the top of the putter um, to the bottom of the putter, the loft gently changes so that if you're hitting it on the bottom, um, it has a little bit more loft. And if you're hitting it on the top, it has slightly less. So if the if you're, um, it, the best thing to go is to, to go to SIK6 website and they have this big explainer basically about how this thing works. Um, but essentially it's designed to help you get more consistent roll regardless of where you strike the ball on the face of the putter. So um, this is purely just theory, but like there's a lot of interconnectivity um, on the fringes between Lexi Thompson and Bryson DeChambeau. And if they're looking to make a pretty radical change, maybe that company designs a putter for her. Grind in a couple weeks to sort of get a feel for this thing and whatever stroke type, you know, left hand low, traditional claw, whatever the hell that's going to be. Um, I'm just going to throw that one out there. I'm not going to give you the Vegas money line on it, but, but (laughs) it's definitely where your mind goes, given the amount of synergy between the two camps, you know, um, you know, I, I got to think that, that that's a possibility. They both drive Bentleys too now, by the way. (laughs) Don't we all? Oh yeah. Right. So, so yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what she comes back with uh, later next month. So funny, funny story about the Bentley. I was at the Northern Trust at TPC Boston last, I think it was August. That's the tournament that, yeah, it was, it was August, I think. And um, I was walking, I was walking with Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy in the final round. It was, excuse me, it was in the third round. It was on Saturday. And you have to walk from the ninth green and cross a street, um, which basically just leads to the clubhouse. It's very little use, but you you cross the street to get to the 10 T box. And so because there's no fans, there weren't very many people. There were maybe like six or seven of us, the two mm-hmm. players and the caddies. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm walking with Tiger and Rory yeah. on a beautiful Saturday morning. And you know, you're one of less than a dozen people that's going to see this round live. We're crossing the street and here comes Bryson DeChambeau in a green Bentley like SUV <laughs> that probably costs more than my house. Oh. And one of the guys says, hey, look, that's Bryson DeChambeau. And the, another guy standing sort of socially distant under his mask said, yeah, he's got plenty of time since he missed the cut to drive that nice car. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh smack. I, that one remind, it just stuck with me for a little bit. All right. What other things should we be looking for? We've got a break. Hmm. What are going to be the storylines coming into, um, out of the break, I should say, what are some around the LPGA tour? What are some things that are going to be on your radar that you're going to start to maybe do some reporting on and think about? Well, I, I just did a story last week on the rookies because it's really interesting that um, there are rookies all over again. So it's rookie season part two. Uh, so that's an unprecedented thing, which is which is kind of interesting. So if you if you had a bad year last year, like, for example, you know, Haley Moore uh, didn't make a lot of cuts. You have a, an opportunity to use that as a learning experience and and give it another go without having really lost anything. Um and, and similarly, if you had a great year, you know, you, you now have some money in your pocket where you're not going out to your first event thinking, you know, I've got to make money. <laughs> so even though maybe your status didn't improve because this, the, unfortunately, unless you won a tournament, your, your 
your place on the priority list didn't change, but yeah. you don't have that tangible pressure of feeling like you need to make a lot of money. If, if you had a good year last year, like say for example, um, and, and Andrea Lee, who had a, who had a great year last year, given what she started the season with, with her status. So, um, you know, plus you've got Aylin Kim. She, I don't know when she's going to make her debut. She of course won the US Women's Open last year and will be, um, a rookie this year on the LPGA. So I'll be interested in that. Uh, and, and four new players from the semester tour coming over who graduated to join that rookie class. So uh, you leave me know will be a fun one to watch. Uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, you know, what she, what she does this year. She's so close to winning and, and can be a pretty, really big star, I think on the LPGA and, and, and make that Solheim cup team as well. So one of the things that you did not mention there, and I'm not holding it against you in the least, is the Olympics. Um, Lexi Thompson has made it clear that one of her number one priority, basically, this season is getting back into the Olympics, Tokyo in August. Uh, and it sounds like from what I was reading in USA Today, the um, the organizing committee is adamant that if, you know, it's at all possible, like the, the Olympic Games are going to happen. Like that, that they said is just absolutely going to happen. Hopefully the world's in a much better place as far as the, the, the virus and um, getting everybody vaccinated and, and stuff like that. Certainly, I think that that will be able to happen to most of the athletes and testing, all that kind of stuff. It happens. How much of a priority do you think it is for professional women golfers to get into the Olympic Games? Because I don't, I, I think it's a plate, there's a higher priority for the women to get into the Olympics than the guys. I haven't heard very many guys talking about like, oh, my number one thing this year before winning a major is making the Olympic team. It seems like if anything, they see it as one more obligation or one more thing to break up their schedule when they run up for the guys to FedEx Cup. They've just come out of four majors. Their schedule is pretty condensed. It's not huge on their list, but I have a feeling for the women, it's a lot bigger deal. It is. And I, I think part of that is historically, when you look at the Olympics, just as a fan, the men and the women are treated the same. They're celebrated the same, right? And so they're put on equal platforms. A, a gold medal mm -hmm. from any country for a woman means as much as a gold medal for any country for a man. Uh, and so in that regard, that's 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 in every woman's mind, right? That I'm that it means something because it, because that's what you grow up watching, where you see women celebrated equally. And so I think that maybe that's part of the internal nature of why the Olympics matter so much to women. Um, and also women don't money at the end of the day, the women are playing for crazy amounts of money like the men are. And so their brains don't think that way. You know, I hate to say that, but that's the truth. You know, I mean, they're looking at the prestige, the honor of playing for their country, what that means to them representing a team, you know, especially, you know, if you're on South Korea's team, especially, it means everything, right? I mean, NB Park wins seven major titles and has a certain level of fame in South Korea. She then wins the gold medal and it, it spikes to another stratosphere, you know? So that's, so every South Korean, you know, knew it was going to be a big deal in 2016, but after what happened with NB Park, then, you know, there's no question. It's even bigger than everybody anticipated. Uh, you know, for, for, for an American, I think if an American woman were to win a gold medal in golf, I hate to say it probably would get a lot more publicity than any major championship that she won here. I agree. Uh, no. And so I, I, that, 
that plays into it, right? That's the difference between casual sport fans will follow the Olympics. I mean, everybody, you know, I, I, I don't, when, when we were watching the Beijing Olympics in 2008, I don't watch swimming on TV. I watch a lot of Michael Phelps, mm. you know, and, right. and that was the reason why, you know, he gets on the cover of SI with, you know, however many dozens of gold medals. It's like, we all get wrapped up into that. Like, you know, the nationalism sort of comes out in a really positive way and you, you get exposure to athletes and to sports in mainstream sport, not just, you know, golfers watching golf. It's, it's everybody watching this stuff. And yeah, the Olympics is huge. I think it's one of the things that you mentioned the money, but because golf is not a traditional traditionally thought of as an Olympic sport, we can sometimes within the industry and people who really love it lose sight of how big a deal the Olympics are to sport in the cult in the world, like in general, the Olympics is massive. It's every bit as big as any sport. And, and to me, it's sort of the brilliance of it is like the rarity of it. There's within an athlete's life cycle uh, or their career cycle, take a golfer. Let's say they have a really nice 20 year career in golf you're probably going to have the realistic opportunity to play in three or four of them if you're at the peak of your game, the way that they've got it set up now for golf. That's not many. You don't want to squander those opportunities. That's a really, really special thing. The U.S. Women's Open happens, good Lord willing, every year. You know, you may have to reschedule it around a pandemic, but we play to U.S. Women's Open. We're going to play these other tournaments. And now it looks like we're going to get back to a regular schedule in, in, as, in the weeks to come. The Olympics isn't going to happen. You know, we've we've got Tokyo, which is going to be weird in 21. And then there's a couple more. And I think it's really unfortunate that the guys don't take it nearly as seriously as the women. And you say it makes total sense that the women get it more than the guys do. They just do. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know whether that's we should see that as like a really good thing for the women or be disappointed in the guys or both because um, <laughs> it goes both ways. I mean, and I and I I don't think that the women consciously look at it from the standpoint that you know the equality thing. I don't know that they think that way because um, their brain is already wired properly, though. Correct. They that that's how that's how we grew up as women watching it, and 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 we know that most people can't name WNBA stars or you know or or even the top most sports fans can't name the top 3 Americans on the LPGA let's mm-hmm. face it but they know <laughs> they know the top skiers the top ice skaters the top you know the, the top track and field athletes they yeah. know those names if 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 there's no olympics then lindsay vaughn isn't worth probably 50 million bucks you know and <laughs> yeah. is and and good, and good for her i Absolutely. Good for her and every other. Good good for Michaela Schifrin, who becomes a household name even for people who never put on a pair of skis because she's one of the best to ever do it. And she's going to be a big star, hopefully barring injury for, you know, whatever. Um, you're going to be a big star for years and years and years to come because you always bring it, Beth Ann. I appreciate you coming once more onto the Forward Press. Have a great week. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.